Hello and welcome to the Foreign Influence Podcast. I'm Bill. And I'm Nikolai. And we are here in sunny Singapore. Uh, it's actually raining a little bit, I well, see, as I say that. Well, mostly sunny. Disproving me. There's one yeah, that's different. We're sunny. social distancing. That is. We're, we're trying out a yet another technology. We did this a couple of episodes ago. So we're trying out something called Zencaster to see how we make this uh, social distancing thing work. Uh, which we could have coming up when we both move back to our respective countries, possibly. Yep. Uh, uh, but, uh, no. At that point. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Not much. And that I've is the of focus of yet another episode, right? <laughs> Listen, we'd love to talk about something other than COVID-19 because everything has turned into COVID-19 all the time, like everywhere. It's all I read, all I hear. Every single podcast is about COVID-19. But like, I just can't. We have to talk about it. Yeah. I, I, I go to, like, every entertainment app I can think of, and COVID-related content yeah. pops up in the feed. It's just miserable. But So we're doing maybe here a, a tour of Europe, so to speak, uh, in connection with uh, COVID-19. We talked to our friend Omar Osman about Italy in the previous episode. Today, we're talking to journalist Christina Zerdnedin. Uh, we met her recently when she was in Singapore, but now she is back uh, in Vienna, Austria, uh, and she's German herself. Uh, and we had an interesting conversation here where we talked to her about the situation there and about our freedoms in the West and um, caught up a little yeah. bit actually on the families, your family in included. Yeah, well. mine as well. Just to, you know, to we did a little rundown of how everybody's feeling uh, back in Europe and how everyone's coping. Yeah. So let's dive into it. Um, let's get to this quickly. Uh, it's a good conversation. Um, a bit bleak at times. Uh, trust me, we'll have our happy news at the end. Uh, but uh, it, this is the biggest thing going on. So let's talk to Christina. So my name is Christina Zornedin. I'm a journalist and writer from Germany. Um I've just met you two in Singapore. Um, I'm actually quite jealous um, that you're there and I'm here because I'm in lockdown in Vienna now. Um, I moved to Vienna three weeks ago. So it's actually quite interesting to see um, how they're handling the coronavirus here and how they're handling it in Germany and all over Europe. And also when I was in Singapore, because um, yeah, it's really a different approach that all the governments are taking. On Sunday, uh, the government passed the so-called Corona law um, very quickly, which means that we're effectively under a, a lockdown now. And uh, you, you, you can only go outside to buy food, medication, or to help um, others. Let's say if you have uh, parents or grandparents who are uh, really not supposed to go outside and expose themselves. So some people go food shopping for them. And you could, you could go out for a walk, but only by yourself um, or with the person you live with. So also, if you have a dog, you can still walk the dog, but um, it's really supposed to be an emergency if you go outside. So you're actually su supposed to stay inside all the time and everything is closed. The schools, the universities, the restaurants, the gyms. So everything except for supermarket pharmacies and uh, tobacco shops, uh, weirdly, <laughs> because people still need uh, cigarettes during the outbreak of a lung disease. <laughs> um, and if you break these rules, you can get stopped by the police. You can uh, pay up to 
4,000 euros as an individual or even 30,000 if you, for instance, uh, keep a playground or um, uh, a sports area open. Um, they also activated the military. Um, they're calling all the civil servants back to work. So if you're an Austrian national and you're under the age of 50, it could happen to you that they're saying, okay, uh, you've been a civil servant and now you have to um, help out with the Red Cross or somewhere else. So yeah, that's why I'm stuck inside. I don't have a balcony. The sun is shining. Um, I'm watching spring from my window. Um, yeah, and that's that's the situation right now. And it's actually the same in France, Spain, and Italy. And uh, it's being discussed in Germany and probably other European countries as well. Um, but yeah, it feels very... Um, it feels as if democracy has been abolished overnight because all the personal freedoms are gone. Um, they actually sent the GPS data of people to the government yesterday, and they're thinking about doing the same in, in Germany to track if people are um, leaving their houses. Yeah, so, and for some reason, people are, I mean, people are really supportive of this. Um, and they, they published a survey saying that 70% of the population think the measures are justified, at least in, in, in Austria, uh, which is very strange to me because um, I don't know how, how far you've read the news, but uh, there's this area in Austria which is popular for skiing. Uh, it's called Tirol. And they're actually calling it the, U the Wuhan of Europe right now because on the 5th of Mar March, there was a, um, a barkeeper in, a, in an après-ski bar where they sort of celebrate after uh, skiing. And he's, uh, he's one of those super spreaders and he's infected all these people from, uh, from all over Europe. And then once they found out that this happened, they sent everyone away really quickly, which, which meant that it was just... Um, spread all over Europe and all these people from Iceland are, uh, have the virus now and 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 they didn't close the area for another week so um, the ski lifts were running and the tourists were still there and it was really a, a very late reaction and for some reason people are, are still very happy with uh, um, with the government here because they're they're um, being so strict right now it's it's very interesting to see <laughs> so i take it from your reaction that you do not support these measures for the privacy reasons <laughs> that you mentioned earlier you mean the um the phone data yeah um so this is this is very this is very controversial you know obviously as a tech journalist i'm i'm aware of what the government can do with personal data and um the danger of surveillance and all of this but then all these democracies here are saying no it's actually justified because they have these uh epidemic laws which uh justify that they take away some of this um privacy for the sake of security um and what they're doing so far is that they're not tracking individual people but they're bundling the data up and then they're just watching whether you know there's a there's a general movement of people um, and whether people are generally staying outside or um, going outside but then what they're doing um in, in asian countries is is much more extreme so in I read that in South Korea, they already have an app where, and, and also in Singapore, I think, where you sort of register when you're in quarantine and then you get calls from the government workers um, several times a day. And then you sort of have to prove with a picture or with a um, video that you're 
uh, in your home. And then in South Korea, they're also um, checking the credit card data and the, the GPS data in general. Um, so this is much more uh, invasive, but um, I think people are more used to this um, and, and they're also agreeing with these measures because they're, they're saying, okay, at least we can you know, control uh, where people are going, whether people who are sick are staying inside and it's just easier for everyone in the end. Uh, and also we don't have to lock up everyone as it's happening right here because here uh, people have no idea who's infected and who's not infected. So that is effectively the trade-off, right? So some countries, yes. for example, France and the Netherlands uh, have taken measures quite late in the process. They've taken They've needed some time to become aware of the severity of the situation and that the Italian situation would soon become a reality in their own country. Um, and I think they're currently in a situation where, as you say, not only do they have no idea how many cases there really are in the country, but um, they're in a position where they're, no, where they're absolutely out of control, where they can no longer effectively trace infected people and there's no way... Um, to do anything other than go towards a complete lockdown. Yeah, exactly. And also, I've talked to um, some friends who are in in Paris and also in Germany, and um, they've had symptoms and they just cannot get tested. So there's just no way you can you can call a hotline and then you're stuck in the hotline for days and then you don't really get tests from the hospitals and also they they're expensive. So um, in Germany, you have to pay for them. I think I read on news in, um, this morning that in the UK, they cost around 400 euros, which is just ridiculous. Um, and uh, so and so, I, I guess the dark number is so much higher than what people are saying because um, people just simply cannot get tested that easily. And also people with little symptoms such as a runny nose or just a, a, a sore throat, they they go to work and they continue to to spread it and um, nobody knows about these people. Back to the trade off between yeah, the yeah. privacy rights and the um, and surveillance and controlling and managing this disease. I guess I'm I guess I'm okay with that <laughs> <laughs> in the degree to which it helps us enforce stay at home orders as they're called here. They're called stay-at-home okay. orders, essentially, uh, where you can't leave the house. Um, because it really is the only way to stop it at this point until the medical system is able to catch up. But the question, the glaring question is, will the governments give that power back up? Exactly, and yeah. I think history tells us that, no, they won't. Yeah, yeah. No, and um, I think, yeah, uh, most people here over here agree agree with that. It's just that um, some some journalists were writing this whole situation is actually a dream come true for for government lead leaders who have, uh, let's say, some, you know, dictatorship dreams or who are a bit more conservative and who can now really exert their, their power. And, and the same for telecommunications uh, uh, companies. Um, and so, yeah, people are just a bit worried about, um, okay, so um, if all of our rights and all of our privacy can just be abolished basically overnight, um, you know, by, by making something up such as this corona law. So when else is this going to happen? And also, you know, elections are coming up in, in a couple of countries. And now um, in Austria, if you're meeting with more than five people, 
um, you are defined as a, um, a gathering and that's illegal now. So what does this mean for elections? You know, if you cannot get together and, and talk about um, politics. So, yeah, but I guess it's just, I hope it's just temporary. It's, um, it's just a, a situation which nobody has ever seen. And also if you've grown up in this uh, Western European democracy and you're used to all your personal freedoms and rights, then this is just a, a big shock right now. And yeah. Well, I think I would tend to be on Bill's side of this. I personally, I, I, I find all of these measures completely acceptable. Mm -hmm. uh, since that we're in, in a very extraordinary situation, unfortunately, the French uh, president, President Macron, uh, declared that we're in a state of war against this virus. Yes. Uh, unfortunately, the Netherlands, uh, my, 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 where I was born, um, haven't declared very drastic measures, exactly mm. for the reasons that you uh, that you've mentioned, because they think it would be a too too strong an infringement on personal liberties. Um, but I have to say that I wonder what the cost will be of that reluctance to move towards a total shutdown, a total lockdown of the country. I wonder how many additional people in the end will die because of this reluctance to take extreme measures. I think we have clearly seen here in Asia, at least in China and now in Europe also in Italy, that the human cost of this outbreak is extremely high and that if... It seems to me, at least, likely that if extreme measures aren't taken, that there is a real human cost associated to that. Yeah. So yesterday, also in, in Germany, there was a um, TV announcement by uh, Angela Merkel, uh, the chancellor, which hasn't happened in 15 years. So normally it happens um, for for New Year, um, but not, you know, in the middle of the year. Um, and she was saying that it's the biggest crisis since World War II, um, which is really scary. But then she still didn't um, um, put in place the lockdown. So people are still running around outside. And, you know, I'm from Berlin, which is a very young city and i'm actually i've lived in an area where it felt like a bubble there were only young people there were i i never really saw any old people on the street and these people they're um they're actually having like secret corona parties or like uh corona infectant parties and all the school children are celebrating because they don't have to school anymore and their exams are postponed all the playgrounds are full of people with children and People just don't get it. And um, so yesterday, uh, Merkel was saying, you know, this is serious. Everyone, please stay inside. But I, I think people are just, they're not getting it. And they need this lockdown to just stay at home because um, they're just thinking, oh, you know, I'm young and I'm, I'm not in the risk group. If I get it, I'll survive. And it's very um, egoistical, this kind of behavior. There's no no sense of community um, as I witnessed it in in Singapore for instance or other Asian countries so everyone is all, um, uh, thinking more like okay every man for himself you know and uh, that's that's a big problem I think I don't know what do you think uh, Nikolai how's it in, in uh, the Netherlands so what happened in the Netherlands was actually quite interesting initially our prime minister uh, Rutte he made uh, an initial declaration which when you look at the timescale of these things, it was just like yesterday. Uh, this happened one and a half weeks ago, I think, where he said, yeah, basically, we should all just wash our hands and go along our merry way. 
Uh, and then two days later, after realizing how serious the situation was likely to become, he made a statement that uh, more drastic measures were going to be necessary, so that he was going to close down schools. Uh, and then a couple of days after that, so the following week, he came on TV and he made a public address to the people, which effectively hasn't happened uh, since wartime, I think, um, to say that, okay, so uh, it's very serious. Uh, coronavirus is here. And he made a speech along the lines of the English herd immunity approach, saying that we would need immunity from the virus, that total lockdown would be inefficient. Um, there was enormous backlash to this initial speech. Um, I initially got very upset as well because I, 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 I have strong objections against the whole herd, herd mentality approach. I thought it to imply that no drastic measures would be taken, but it would seem after, uh, after a couple of days that this was likely uh, sort of um, one of those famous Dutch compromises. Uh, we have a political system which is completely based on, the, on, on, on compromises. Um, and that in reality, measures are going to be more drastic uh, than his initial speech led on to believe. And I'm starting to get convinced that as soon as the number of cases will start to increase drastically, uh, I think the Netherlands is about a week behind France. So that puts it about two weeks behind Italy, I think. Um, that actually they are going to move towards uh, a general lockdown. But we'll have, to, uh, we'll have to wait and see how that turns out. But uh, I think that, that, that the measures that are going to be implemented are going to be much more drastic than he initially led on in his, uh, in his speech at any rate. Well, and I think it's interesting to see some of these selfish behaviors that you're describing in the context of the U.S. where we had our leader in President Trump basically dismissing the whole thing until he could possibly not dismiss it. But at our state level, governors were very aggressive uh, and, of course, have closed everything. Very similar to what you're describing in Vienna, where all restaurants are closed. I don't think anyone is is ordered into their homes yet, but uh, very extreme lockdown measures. But again, that came from governors, not from the president, but he was dismissing the whole thing there for a long time. So you could kind of expect some of the people to resist these changes, but nope, it's apparently was happening all over Europe as well, which is disappointing <laughs> to hear. Yeah. And it's definitely disappointing to see so much selfish behavior, as you say, for example, in France, right after the announcement of the general lockdown, uh, which would go into effect the following day at noon. Um, many people scurried to buy train tickets to spend the lockdown in the French countryside, uh, in their secondary residence or at friends' places, resulting in, in in just enormous amounts of people huddled up in trains to to go towards oh. the south or the countryside. Yeah, which is and obviously a horrible idea, right? Also in France, they, they still have these yellow vest protests going on. And also it's one of the <laughs> most outrageous pictures that my brother sent me because um, he's reading the news a lot is this, they had a huge Smurf parade. So you have all these people with, uh, you know, blue faces and dressed up as Smurfs somewhere in West France. I, I think this happened. Yes, like, I saw that too. Yeah, <laughs> so it's like, 
really? <laughs> I it was quite funny. But all of this happened at different at different points on the yeah. timeline. So the Smurf true, parade true. quite early on. Yes, when there, true. When there was when there was no idea that France was going to go on lockdown, I think this was basically in the "Come on, guys, we should practice good personal hygiene" stage. Um, taking the train. Oh, it was I, darn close, though. It was darn close was to close, being. But, but the problem is that if yeah. there's no firm measures in place from the government. Do you really expect people to transform themselves into ep- epidemiologists overnight and to take? wildly proactive measures uh, that go way beyond what the government is doing to protect themselves and others. It's, it's just not going to happen. You're right. Transforming into Smurfs makes much more sense. <laughs> Great. <laughs> you just Smurf your way through it, man. Yeah, exactly. I'm not a Smurfiologist. I just know how to Smurf. <laughs> yeah. I think it's also... Well, yeah, go ahead. No, I was just saying, you know, yesterday we passed this... Um, sad milestone that we're now having more cases and death in Europe than in China. So I think that's maybe that's another wake up call for people to, to stay home. And um, yeah, because there's some predictions um, of the world, um, WHO saying that this could last until the end of June in Europe, if we don't react uh, a bit more drastically. Yeah. Unfortunately, it seems quite likely that it's going to last over summer. So as of today, as of this morning, the official consolidated figures are the following. So there's almost 88,000 confirmed cases. So that's an increase of over 13,000 confirmed cases from yesterday. So the growth is really massive. Um, And there's almost 4,000 deaths in Europe uh, Mm. due to uh, COVID-19. So the situation is uh, is really quite serious. Yeah. Well, and I think the WHO said that the global epicenter had moved to Europe. Exactly. Correct? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so yeah. just in Italy in one day yesterday they had 427 deaths, something like that. So Yes. Yeah, it's, it's really bad. And this is, you know, just an American reacting to this again. The way this is playing out in corners of the US are see the US is going haywire because we don't have these um robust healthcare systems that cover everybody. Well, no, Europe's got those. <laughs> it's uh, still a problem. I was amazed to hear you say that it's very expensive to get tested in Germany. That's another argument that we're having in the U.S. Why aren't tests free to basically mm. anyone who wants them? Now, of course, we're way behind in implementing our tests. Let's not get into that. But the cost is one of the things that would be covered. But even there, in a European system where most healthcare is covered, the tests are too expensive. I'm just, I'm amazed at some of the things that are occurring that sound, uh, well, American, which is probably horrible for both of you to hear. (laughs) No, and also, you know, coming from Singapore here in, in, um, at least in Austria, nobody is wearing a mask. There's no temperature checking anywhere. There are no bottles with disinfectant uh, spray. There's no contact tracing. Like you don't have to leave your phone number or address anywhere. Uh, there's no testing really and also um i keep on hearing these stories of planes arriving from from china and iran and and people just walk in there's they're not being asked so like uh, you know how are you feeling and they're not checking their temperature and this is yeah it's just incredible wow well 
Yeah, here in Singapore, I mean, Singapore is being held up by a lot of people as an international model for how to do this. Mm. Now, the conditions are are easier for it. I mean, it's a self-contained island, right? So there's a lot of controls that you can implement. Um, but yeah, everything that you just described is definitely happening here. Happening here, they they trace everybody down. They quickly. Uh, we have a friend, Nikolai, and I have a friend who came back from the UK. Uh, earlier this week, he was diagnosed, and he is in the isolation ward now, uh, doing okay as of when we're recording this. Um, but yeah, Singapore, without instituting a lockdown, so this is something that was interesting to me that some relatives of mine back in the U.S. were like, well, uh, are you under lockdown there? No, not really. I mean, you can still go out. You can go to restaurants uh, if you do so responsibly, right? Go with small groups of people. But we're not under lockdown, but we have those other things that you were describing, Christina, where there's lots of tracking. And boy, if they identify you to stay in, you'd better do it because there are pretty strict penalties if you don't. Um, So I don't know what it takes for Western countries to implement more of these systems that seem to be working here in this crisis phase. Well, I think, unfortunately, uh, most of Western Europe, well, all of Western Europe has really moved beyond a phase where that could effectively be implemented. Um, contact tracing is completely out the window at this point, right? There's there's almost no way to implement it. Uh, so I think the only measure that they can realistically take is a complete lockdown. The only mm-hmm. reason that Singapore manages to escape it because, well, first of all, there is contact tracing, which works very, very well here. Uh, the population has really uh, risen to the challenge and uh, stands united against the coronavirus. I think everyone is uh, is extremely respectful of the rules that the government uh, communicates. Everyone understands the reasons why these measures are being put in place and really makes a best effort to implement them. And I think um, if you do that from the very get-go, uh, then it's possible to manage this crisis the way Singapore has. But I think it's impossible to start implementing that this late down the growth path uh, in Europe, unfortunately. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, they were way too late. And also um, uh, Singapore just closed the border or the entry from China really early. I think um, hmm. already on the 31st of January, even though Chinese New Year was coming up and um, and then they they started testing right away. And also this contact tracing model, as far as I know, they still have it from um, from the SARS crisis. So obviously all the um, countries in Asia, they have the SARS experience. Um, and that's why they, they're used to it or they could react faster than uh, European countries. Is my absolutely, impression. absolutely. What I... I, I am seriously upset, though, uh, with the fact that most Western countries have apparently during the last decade or so learned nothing uh, from SARS, have apparently taken no lessons from Asia uh, with regards to the management of these kinds of crises. although everybody knew that this or something very similar was coming, right? Apparently, no one was prepared. Um, there is a complete seems to be a complete lack of cooperation and s- centralized coordination in the European Union. Everybody just implementing and improvising uh, these measures as they go along. Like you seriously get the impression that people are just making it up all from scratch and that they seem reluctant to look towards the East to, to take any lessons. Of course, I, I realize that this has gone really fast, right? So just to give you 
just because it seems like we've been in this forever. But I remember when I sent out, so I maintained this newsletter that I started uh, to keep uh, people in the West posted on how things were developing in Europe, which I started not even a month ago. Uh, and I felt silly sending the very first uh, newsletter because basically I was reporting that there were 104 confirmed cases in Europe. And people were looking at me like I was crazy. And now we're not even one month later, right? And there's like 80,000 cases. So I, I, I sympathize mm. for the fact that the, the, the timescale here has been extremely short um, and that it's not easy to implement these things. But that's why you prepare for them, right? It's not like this, is, this isn't something that epidemiologists and, and doctors and even billionaires, for crying out loud, even Bill Gates uh, has been lobbying for almost a decade trying to warn everyone that this was coming and outlining exactly how we should prepare for it. And apparently the West has done nothing, just absolutely nothing to prepare for it. Hey, I have a question for the both of you. Um, we'll start with Christina. Um, I mean, obviously this is home. So how, how are your families reacting? How are your families doing? Uh, in in the face of all this, yeah. So my both of my parents are um, in Frankfurt, Germany, um, and they're just staying at home uh, right now. But uh, they didn't really understand it um, until a week ago. So because they're so used, they're still quite active, and um, they they were still going to birthday parties and concerts and so on and and until I was telling them you know please stay home this is this is serious um, and then I have um, uh, all my friends in in Berlin mostly and they have uh, small babies and and children um, and they are just a bit um, <laughs> I mean it's challenging because they're supposed to do um, home office from home but they're also um watching their children on the side and obviously you can't really work when you have a, a, a screaming a no. toddler um and for me yeah i'm just here um in, in in vienna with my boyfriend and we're not we're seeing his sister because she's our age but we're not seeing his parents and his his grandmother who came from um iran because his, his parents are um, iranian and so we're not seeing them so we're sort of separating the young and the the old people so that we don't um risk their health even though we're all feeling healthy we never know you know whether we we carry anything inside of us um but it's actually yeah. quite sad because tomorrow um friday is the the persian new year which is sort of um, um, our Christmas or like my, my boyfriend's family's Christmas and uh, we're not spending it together and um, there was supposed to be a huge celebration of the Persian community here in Vienna and it's all cancelled and so yeah that's that's it's pretty pretty sad. Nikolai what's happening with your family? Um, so it's interesting that I have family in several different European countries so in France, Belgium, the Netherlands, uh, and the United Kingdom. Uh, the ones in France are almost, almost all of them are uh, going through lockdowns so they're quarantined at home, except for one family member who, uh, who is in politics, so has uh, public responsibilities that she needs to attend to. So she's still mm. out and about in public. Uh, the other ones are, 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 are seemingly taking the situation quite well. Uh, so I think that morale is high, but of course, this is only day three of the quarantine. 
Um, most of uh, the family in France, um, I would say, f f except for a couple of uh, exceptions, are people who are effectively not working. Uh, they don't have uh, the kinds of jobs that allow for uh, a work from home scenario to uh, to be meaningful to them. So they're you know they're quarantined and they have uh, some time off while still being paid. Uh, the family in Belgium, where uh, a lockdown, or at least I think it's a little bit less strict than uh, France uh, at this point, but uh, I think they're not quite uh, locked in at home yet. Uh, um, but people are uh, definitely struggling. So I have some entrepreneurs in the family who have been forced basically to shut down their business. Uh, I have some, some family members working in the hospitality sector, which is obviously very heavily hit. And then another family member who is a healthcare professional who is called upon to, uh, to keep working, obviously, uh, but is having a very, um, quite a rough time. And then the family in the Netherlands um, are doing well. Um, so they are more, those are basically somewhat older because they're like the previous generation. So my parents and their brothers and sisters. Um, so they're they are mostly voluntarily quarantined at home, uh, trying to take every precaution uh, that they can. Um, they're obviously quite stressed about the whole situation. Um, so I've been trying to warn them, um, for about a month. So I've been trying to scare them into staying home for the last month or so. Um, so fortunately they do have an abundance of supplies. Um, so they are, you know, they're dealing with it as, as, as well as they, as they possibly can. Fortunately, I also have some friends there, uh, who, who are infected. Uh, who who have COVID nineteen? Mm. Uh, so I'm trying to keep track of their uh, health status. Uh, interestingly, they're both quarantined. So there are a couple. They're both uh, quarantined at home. Uh, they don't yet require uh, respiration, uh, even though they're starting to have difficulty breathing. Uh, but there is no system in place to deliver food to them or deliver sh groceries to them. And most of the delivery services have stopped working. So they still have to go outside. So, so much for quarantining being effective, right? So I think that's just, uh, that's just, Wait, they're sick, there. but they, they can't stay home. Well, the problem is that their family members and their close friends are at risk. As far as I understand it, they've, they have risk profiles that are that are higher than theirs uh, ah. uh, because of underlying conditions or advanced age. So, uh, yeah, and I, I think they try to stay in as much as possible. But to the best of my understanding, they still have to go out every once in a while. So that just goes to show how how efficient uh, some of these quarantine measures are if they don't have any bite to them, right? So I I yeah. I, 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 can, I really believe that unless you put something in place where you force people to not go outside and you and you propose solutions allowing them to not go outside that basically quarantining is, is, is completely meaningless on a, on a population level. And then I also have family in the UK uh, and friends in the UK, uh, all of whom are uh, not happy at all with uh, the government response to the whole situation. Uh, I think it was only a couple of days ago uh, when there was a giant rock concert, right? Being held somewhere in the, 
in the yep, UK. I saw those images bouncing around. I think that up even in Scotland, the China right? Morning Post or something like it was really. I think it was oh, really? stereophonics or something. Uh, I think are going to suffer giant backlash from the decision to go forward with the concert. Um, but yeah, they're they're obviously quite concerned uh, about the total lack of uh, of decisive measures put in place by their government, and uh, some of them. Um, you know, it just so happened that they were abroad when uh, when it happened, and they're uh, sort of stuck in different countries. Uh, so everyone's dealing as well as as well as they can. But um, I would definitely say that the ones that are under lockdown are more reassured that the one than the ones that are in the UK, where it appears to be the sort of free for all, uh, let God sort them out kind of policy that's being implemented. <laughs> Yeah, I have the same feeling. If I compare my situation to the situation in Berlin, all of my friends in Berlin are actually hoping for a lockdown because yeah. they, they would really? just feel safer. Wow. Yeah, because, you know, all these corona parties and, and people on playgrounds and people eating ice cream, that's just really worrying. <laughs> wow. Well... <laughs> I guess just bringing the conversation around to where we began. I mean, it, um, that's freedom, but at what point do people choose to willingly give up their freedoms temporarily to solve these kinds of collective crises, but then take them back as soon as the crisis is over? And that's the difference, I think, with the Western countries is I think we will reclaim those freedoms. We'll clamp down on those technological interventions and monitoring in our lives and We'll go back to those conditions, whereas um, other countries, certainly like China, know this will just intensify um, their their lack of freedoms. Um, but boy, there's a lot of fear and pain and sadness out there in the world. Yeah, but you right know, now. you know what? Staying at home is not that hard. You know, there's actually this. Um, this <laughs> That's meme, a great point. <laughs> there's this meme going around saying your grandparents were called you war. You're being called to sit on a couch. You know, and also we yes. imagine uh, all of this happening without the internet. I mean, the amount of things you can mm. do online. For instance, all the Ivy League universities have mostly published their um, their courses, so you can study you know poetry or whatever all the museums have um, guided tours online most of the concerts are online you can do your fitness online your yoga online um, so actually this whole online world is really growing and you can you can spend so much time doing all kinds of things online so yeah um, actually it's it's not that difficult if you think about it Oh, I don't yeah, thank you. I wanted to end on a positive yeah. note somehow. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm glad we got there. I don't know the official statistics, but I'm pretty sure everybody's just watching cat videos. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody's improving themselves online. That's a myth. That's an urban legend. <laughs> but they could. The, the potential exists like never before. And that's what it's all about, Bill. Exactly. <laughs> You're so cynical. They're not just watching cat videos. <laughs> <laughs> not, not, not just bad videos, I agree. Well, Christina, thanks so much uh, for taking the time. Be safe. Yes, you too. Thank you. I'll see you soon in Singapore, I hope. I hope so too, yeah. All right. So, uh, again, thanks to Christina for coming on the show. Actually, it was her idea. So Yeah, we- it was. Really great. Really appreciate it. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's a really great idea to check in, and um, of course, we'll we'll do more of that. Uh, we'll try to have her back on the show maybe in a couple three weeks and um, get some updates. Reminds me of uh, this movie I this movie I watched recently called Doctor Sleep, where the guy says at some point, "We're all dying. The world is a giant hospice with fresh air." Uh, <laughs> that seems to apply here somehow. <laughs> you know, that's funny because it's true. It uh, is true. <sighs> even just it, how even fast it happens we're all dying right? my okay geez we're gonna need this good news here in a little bit you know there's one last Sorry. thing i want to talk about before we get to the good news uh is something we touched upon in there um the virus obviously came uh from china and then uh got to europe and got to everywhere in the world um but who's who's coming to the rescue of europe um is it the ally of the united states no in fact china has been showing up with what supplies for Italy, I believe, um, yeah. and is coming forward and is playing this very magnanimous role uh, on the global stage of coming in with supplies mm -hmm. and medical experts. For me, this is just another example of this giant realignment that we are having in the world where the United States seems to be determined to fade off of the global stage and China is stepping in, even with the fellow Western democracies. Uh, it's yeah. just an extraordinary thing for, and, to yeah. watch. And we've seen Jack Ma just shipping out massive quantities of masks and supplies to Western European countries, but also to Africa. And I don't see anything like that even remotely happening uh, coming out of the U.S. Of course, the U.S. would be heavily criticized because they need their own supplies and they're hardly taking care of their old of their own people at this point. Well, and China claims it's over its crisis. Can we still believe what China says? I don't know. I don't know, but they're, know. But they're helping. But they're, you know, check that out. Yeah. But they're helping. But they're helping. <laughs> Unbelievable. Well, anyway, so that's the last thought I have, I think, before we wrap up for this episode. Um, you know, we're going to go to the good news. before. Right before we get to the good news, I want to mention, Nikolai, talk to us about your newsletter that you've started. Oh, my newsletter. So I started a newsletter about a month ago when there was 104 COVID cases in Europe uh, because I was worried and I wanted to keep track of the outbreak in Europe and communicate to my friends and family what was going on and uh that they know that the situation was serious. And now we're not even one month further down the road and there's almost 80,000, uh, almost 90,000, sorry, confirmed cases in Europe. So it's, it's been going extremely fast. Uh, and I've pivoted the newsletter from uh, status updates, uh, so latest news articles and stuff like that, which were hard to come by initially when I started this thing only a month ago. It's really unbelievable to uh, right now uh, good news basically uh, around this whole COVID thing uh, trying to uh, highlight um, well ways in that you know we're coming together and uh, that we're making good stuff happen in the world and sharing just you know a little positive note that maybe brightens up people's day a little bit and I still also share the in the, uh, the the number of confirmed cases in Europe and the progression of the disease for Europe for those who are more of a pessimistic and uh, <laughs> morbid. Uh, uh, who love to wallow. Who love to wallow. But after that, I add a little positive note. Um, so check that well, out. Do you happen to have 
some of those, one of those. Uh, uh, so yeah, so uh, today's news. Uh, here, I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll launch, let me launch this happy music, and then oh. you can kind of give us oh. some of these COVID. Yeah, see, oh, don't well, you feel you better are. already? It's so much better now. So today, I so what are some of the happy on, thoughts? I focused on how local production can make a difference. So in Italy, there was a startup that has been three D printing uh, medical valves. Uh, needed for respirators, uh, which I thought was really great and really innovative way to to help out. And uh, also, I think I mentioned that uh, Grafica Veneta, which is a which is a major international book printer, has uh, announced that they've repurposed their production line to make paper masks rather than books. And uh, according to estimates, they can make 1.5 million masks a day. So that puts a giant dent in uh, into Italy's mask shortage. And masks are, of course, vitally important for uh, uh, for uh, first-line respondents, so doctors and whatnot. So there are positive developments. There yeah, are the world, positive developments. Absolutely. In places and pockets, the world is rising to this challenge. Yeah, um, it is. It is. It is. We're going to get over this, people. We're going to get through. We will. We will. That's a good message to end on. All right. Thanks to everybody for listening. Uh, please sign up for our newsletter. Of course, hit that subscribe button for this podcast. And yep. thanks for listening, everybody. And thanks, baby Jesus. Talk soon. <laughs> yes, indeed.